Hello and welcome to another bonus episode of the Boag World Show, the podcast about all aspects of digital design, development and strategy. We're currently between seasons, but in this longer than normal gap, I have been running a series of webinars on various subjects and wanted to share the audio of those sessions with you. Today's subject is a user-centric approach to digital marketing. I hope you find it useful. Okay, hello and welcome to the second in my little mini series of webinars. A special thank you to everybody who's turned up uh, live in the room today. Um, and if you're watching it as um, a, a recorded video afterwards or even as audio on the podcast, um, thank you too for um, being here. Um, for those people that are in the room, little bit of housekeeping before we kick off. You will notice along the bottom bar of the screen, you have an option to ask a question. If you have a question at any point um, in this presentation, just pop it in there. I will answer all the questions at the end. I probably won't be able to follow along as we go. Um, so if you can pop them in there, much appreciated. Don't put them in the chat room because I work, may well miss them if you put them in the chat room. You will also know, notice that you have a nice big green button that says download today's slides and links. I reference a number of articles in today's um, uh, presentation. So um, if you download the associated PDF, then you'll get all of uh, those links as well. So hopefully everybody can hear me all right. If you can hear me, can you say so in the chat room before I go too much further, otherwise that this is going to be a waste of my time <laughs> and yours, to be quite honest. I'm sure you don't want to watch uh, my beautiful face um, without actually hearing what I've got to say. Um, yes, brilliant. Thank you, Rosa. Uh, this is going to be a relatively short presentation um, today, probably about half an hour, 40 minutes, but we'll we'll um, uh, do some, some Q&A afterwards as well. Right, let's bring up the presentation and look at what it is that we are discussing today. We're looking at a user-centric approach to digital marketing. Um, let me tell you a little bit about how I came to this subject. So I have been working in the field of user experience design for 23 years now. Um, and over that entire time, I've always kind of had to work hand in hand with marketers. It's just a part of the um, the job. And increasingly, um, uh, as I move more into strategy and consultancy, really the vast majority of the work that I do is with marketers. Um, and I began to discover that there is a significant amount that, that marketers can learn from user experience design and vice versa. And in this presentation, really, I want to explore some of the lessons that marketers can adopt from the user experience design field um, and maybe approach uh, digital marketing in particular in a, in a very different way than they, they have done previously. Um, and as a result, end up with better, better results, higher conversion, all of those kinds of things. So that's the kind of basis from it. It's actually um, uh, today's presentation is taken from our, a one day workshop that I run on user centric digital marketing um, that I tend to run in house for organizations. Um, uh, so if you're interested in knowing more about that, then you can follow the link that's in the PDF. Um, I want to do a public version of that, but I want to do the one that I'm doing on conversion rate optimization first. So one thing at a time. Right. 
let's start at the beginning. Let's talk about conversion because I often think that um, people view conversion in the wrong way, right? Um, whether you're a marketer or a designer or whoever, we, we thought, think about getting users to complete calls to action. And we think about conversion as an action, something that um, users have to do. But actually, in truth, conversion is often more of a journey than it is any kind of individual action. So um, what do I mean by that? Well, let's take an example of a, of a large charity, right? Um, and the journey that somebody might go on to engage with the charity, it's not this like moment of epiphany where suddenly people go, I am going to be a part of this charity and get involved with everything they do. Instead, it's a journey that they go on. It probably begins with seeing a friend um, uh, update their social media with some kind of link to something, a crisis that's happening in the world. So the very first point of conversion, the very first interaction is literally just clicking on that link. Um, it might start the Facebook ad. It might start um, with a news story. But the, the, the basic principle is the person is engaging um, and taking an action. And that will probably lead them through to a blog post um, about the crisis, about whatever it is um, that the charity wants uh, you to support. And again, reading that blog post, engaging with that blog post is a, um, an action in itself. But ideally, we then want somebody to take a next step. Now, to just go in and um, ask them straight for, you know, them to leave a legacy when they die, right? That's not going to happen from that from that point to that. It's too big a jump. They might make a one-off donation, but even that probably um, is quite a big step just on the basis of reading one blog post. So it might be that the user ends up, say, signing up for a newsletter so to keep abreast of what's happening in the crisis. So that's another step. Another point of conversion would be signing up for the newsletter. Then, of course, another point of conversion is actually reading the newsletters as they come through to you and maybe even clicking on a link. They're reminded about the crisis and that leads them on to the website where hopefully then they will make a one off donation. But even that isn't the end of the journey. Once they've made a one off donation, we want to encourage them to make a monthly donation. We want to encourage them to volunteer, fundraise, awareness raise and eventually to, to leave a legacy. So my point is, is that from whether you're a user experience designer or a marketer, we need to um, make sure that we're thinking about conversion as a journey rather than an individual action, which is very much what I was talking about before when I did um, uh, a webinar previously um, on customer journey mapping. And I pointed out in when we were talking about customer journey mapping that it only takes one thing to go wrong on that journey um, and the whole thing falls apart. If the website is rubbish, people never make that single donation, which means you never get their information to follow up with them with multiple donations, etc. So one weak link can break the entire chain. So how do we ensure success in that kind of world? How do we ensure that a user is progressing in the journey, that the ways that we're trying to engage them, the campaigns that we're running as marketers are actually effective? Well, there's basically a series of steps 
that you need to go through, in my opinion, when designing a campaign, a marketing campaign. And these steps actually will feel very reminiscent of the steps that you go through as a digital market, uh, sorry, as a user experience designer. And the very first um, step is to, to validate the idea behind the campaign, right? Any campaign is based on a series of assumptions, right? Um, and we need to be sure that those assumptions are correct before we build out the campaign. It's the same with user experience design. You make certain assumptions about whether someone wants a mobile app, whether what somebody wants a website, whatever. Are those assumptions correct? And in my experience of working with marketers, normally that assumption is never challenged. Let's look at a typical campaign and how it's built. Usually somebody in leadership or higher up in the organization um, uh, has an idea, a vision for a campaign. And then there's a lot of work planning that campaign um, and, and preparing it and getting everything in place, right? At that point, the campaign is launched to the world and basically either fails or succeeds. And there's very little time at that point to kind of revisit, refine and improve the campaign because everybody has moved on to the next campaign, the next bright idea someone in senior management has had about how we should sell this product, how we should promote it. And you see the same problem in, in design. You see the same problem in marketing. It's, it's a universal issue. So before we do any of that planning or any of that work in preparing that campaign, we need to ask ourselves a question. Is the premise of the campaign actually a good idea? Is it something we should be doing? And to do that, we need to know our audience. We need to know what resonates with them and what doesn't. So, for example, who are they? Who influences them? What do they want to know? What resonates with them? And we also need to know what their journey is. What steps um, do they complete? What barriers do they face? And particularly what channels do they use, right? Because if we're not um, targeting, you know, if we've decided to do an email campaign and people aren't using email, then we're wasting our time. So we've got to be incredibly informed. And getting those channels right is really important because there are so many different channels available today. As I said in my previous uh, webinar on customer uh, journey mapping, you know, we need to be targeting the right channels at the right time. Because if we don't, we can seriously be wasting our time. Here's um, an example of three different channels that we might be targeting. We've got um, uh, pay-per-click advertising, we've got uh, social media, and we've got email. And together, those different channels create a conversion rate of about 20%. But as you can see, the pay-per-click is seriously underperforming. And if we drop that from the mix, actually our conversion rate will go up. So the channels we work with are a huge part. So when somebody comes with a bright idea saying we're going to do a Facebook campaign or we're going to do an email campaign or we're going to build a, a microsite, we need to challenge those fundamental assumptions. And that means we need to know our users, um, who they are and what they want. And to do that, we need to do our user research. And I've written an article that you might find useful called User Research 10 Techniques to Get Started or Improved that will be available from the download. So that's our first step. Now, once we validated the campaign, what then happens? Well, next, we need to know 
our users questions and objections, right? Okay. So if you went back, say, I don't know, 20 years, 25 years, something like that, then marketing was primarily about grabbing people's attention, right? We want to get their attention, um, and, and that's half the battle. These days, we have people's attention, right? If somebody opens an email, you've already got their attention. Yeah, you, you don't have their attention for long, but they've shown some degree of interest already. If they visit a landing page, they've shown even more interest, right? So attention grabbing is part of the problem, but just grabbing someone's attention isn't going to make them convert. I could stand, well, you see it, don't you? You see people standing on street corners shouting at people, don't they? You know, the world, you know, the end of the world is nigh and all of that business. Now, how compelling are those people? Have they convinced you? Have they converted you? Of course not. They've got your attention, but they've not converted you. To convert someone, right, you need to address the questions that they have about whatever the thing is. OK, and you need to overcome the objections they might have, reasons why they might not buy or might not need to take action. So the, before you can design a good campaign, you have to know your users questions. And do you really know those questions? Do you know what they are? I would argue probably not. And that's where a technique like top task analysis can be really um, useful. Um, a top task analysis is basically a surveying technique that allows you to understand um, your, what your users want, what they're trying to um, uh, achieve, what questions they've got, what tasks that they're trying to do. Um, and it's a simple survey. You ask people um, to select the five tasks or questions that are most important when they're visiting a website, you know, considering buying a product, whatever. OK. Now. The thing, the important thing to know is not only um, will this, uh, you know, help you identify the, the tasks and questions that people have got, but it will also give you a, a real sense of whether or not those tasks and questions are important, how important they are, because there's so much we could say about our products and services. There's so much that we want to say in our campaigns, but we know we've only got a few seconds to grab people's attention. So we need to make sure we're answering the proper the right critical questions are we answering the fundamental questions that people have got and top task analysis will enable us to do this because what you will find is actually the vast majority of people are primarily interested in a small number of tasks or questions there's only a small amount of information that they really desperately need and then there is a lot of other things that they are vaguely interested in, but they're not as critical. And the danger is, is that when we are, we're creating our campaign, we're focusing on the less critical issues. We're not addressing the what right questions and the right objections. So running something like a top task analysis will help you identify whether you're addressing the right questions and the right concerns or not. Now, I can't get into top task analysis here um, because I want to keep this uh, today's presentation nice and short because the last one I did was far too waffly and long. Um, but here's a, a, a link to an article on top tasks um, and, and how to do it. It's a list apart article. It's absolutely brilliant. Download the PDF and you can get access to it. 
Um, by the way, I don't ask for any personal information when you download the PDF. Um, if you're listening to this uh, on a podcast, um, the PDF can be found at boag.world forward slash marketing. Okay, so another thing that you can do to understand um, people's objections is run a very, very simple survey. So here's an example. I offer a video masterclass, right? It's a four-hour um, video masterclass on uh, creating compelling calls to action, right? And so it's really about conversion rate optimization. Um, you can enroll on this class. You can watch it when you want to. Now, I'm telling you this not as a big advert for, for the masterclass, although check it out at boagworld.com forward slash masterclass. But instead, I'm telling you about it because it wasn't selling as well as I'd hoped to initially, right? Um, so I wanted to know why, you know. It's a, it's a video masterclass about conversion rate optimization. If I can't get people um, to enroll, then there's something seriously wrong. So I used my own advice and I ran a short survey. Now, the survey only showed when people went to exit, right? So I didn't want it to get in the way of the calls to action, but it was on an exit intent. And I ran a very simple one question survey that said, if you decide not to enroll today, it would be useful to know why. And I listed a load of reasons I thought users might not want to enroll. Things like, I'm not sure what it covers. I think it's too expensive. I'm not convinced it will help. I don't think I need it. I've never heard of the tutor. I don't trust the site, whatever, right? And also gave them the option to select the other and to enter their own reason. And just by running that, right, I was able to increase the sales by my uh, website about 10 times, right? 10 times over. And that was because I discovered I was pricing it too high, right? Um, when I priced it lower, the number of sales jumped dramatically and more than covered um, the, the price reduction that I introduced. So, you, you know, understanding these questions and understanding these objections will really help to frame your campaign and make it a lot more compelling. And running a survey like that didn't take a lot of work. It was simple, it was straightforward, and it was quick to do. Okay. So, we understand what our campaign needs to be about. We've validated the basic premise of our campaign. Now we need to start putting it together. Um, and we need to test um, a couple of areas of the campaign as we're beginning to create it. And the first thing we need to do is test the clarity of the campaign. Do users understand it and respond to it correctly, right? So how do we test that? Because too often we just build a landing page or create an email and push it out into the world and just kind of hope people get it. But we can actually test that and be sure before we put in all the work of creating the final um, emails or paying a developer to build the landing page or whatever else. So and we we do that by simply prototyping the campaign. Right. We mock it up so that we can see the campaign and then put it in front of real people and see how they respond to it. Now, I've been working. I work with a lot of really large um, uh, corporate organizations, the likes of Puma, GlaxoSmithKline, Cisco, people like that, that have um, huge uh, digital teams uh, working on these kind of marketing campaigns. I say digital teams, digital marketing teams. Um, and it's amazing 
how many of them are still kind of writing specifications for their campaigns rather than visualizing them. If you don't visualize your campaign, then you can't test your campaign, right? Now, um, and when those that are visualizing them are trying to mock them up in things like Word and stuff like that, which is just not suitable to something like this, I highly recommend you check out a tool like Balsamic, right? If you can use pen and paper, if you can use Word, you can use Balsamic. It's really, really easy, and it makes it quick and simple to mock up your campaign. And you can mock up, you know, it doesn't look pretty, as you can see, but you can, um, uh, you know, easily test out headlines, you can test out copy, you can test out the positioning of calls to action and stuff like that. So once you've done this, what you can do is introduce, take that mock-up that you've created and upload it to a tool like Usability Hub. I absolutely love Usability Hub. And the reason I love Usability Hub is it makes it so, so incredibly simple to get very, very quick feedback on a campaign. So, for example, you can do a first click test. Now, if you haven't come across a first click test before, essentially the way a first click test works is you upload a graphic and you say, what would you do next, right? Where would you click? Because if people get that first click right, there's an incredibly high chance that they will then go on to complete the conversion that you want, complete the task that you want. So, you can just upload a static graphic, you know, like the one you just saw of Balsamic. You can upload it and ask people where they would first click. Okay. Another test you could do is the five second test, where you show them your mock up for five seconds. You take it away and you ask them to write down the main elements they remembered seeing on the page, right? What did they see? What did they not see? You know, did they spot your primary call to action? Did they um, read the, the primary uh, headline? Are they seeing the right thing or are they getting distracted? Very, very simple test to do. And what Usability Hub will do is it will give you a URL that you could push out on social media or you could um, uh, um, send to, you know, anybody, to be honest, that's outside of the project, right? You could show your mum it. Does she get it? Does she understand it, right? Did she see the right things? Did she click in the right place, right? This doesn't need to be demographically accurate people in order to make sure that the campaign is, is clear, is clear what it's saying and what it's trying to do. Um, you can even, in something like Balsamic, link together multiple pages. So let's say, for example, you were doing like a charity um, campaign, like we were talking about earlier, and you want people to make a donation. Well, a donation isn't just clicking on an email. You've then got to go to a landing page. And from the landing page, you've then got to go to a donation form. You've got things to fill out, etc. You can mock all of that up in Balsamic and join all of those different pages together so people can actually click from one to another. Now, you get a URL from Balsamic that you could then um, take to something like usertesting.com. And with usertesting.com, what you can do um, is you can give them that URL and they will um, ask people to um, test it for you, right? Um, and they will do unfacilitated usability testing. 
right? So they handle the whole thing. They even find participants for you. And you can say, here's, um, here's the des uh, design. We want people to go and make a donation. And when those people do it, they rec it records a video of them doing it. And, at the, um, uh, and they're encouraged to speak out loud about what they're thinking, what questions they've got, what challenges they're facing, et cetera. Alternatively, you could do this yourself. Um, there's another tool called lookback.io, um, which lets you do this kind of unfacilitated testing. Or you could just um, use Skype and do it with some people. Uh, but obviously, you would you need to be on the call to watch and observe that. But if you use a service like usertesting.com, you'll get results back in like an hour. It really doesn't take very long. Um, and the result of that um, is is that it doesn't need to interfere with your workflow. You can just validate things and keep moving forward. So if you want to know about how to get started with, with that kind of um, usability testing, then um, you can check out this article that I've written on how to get started with usability testing. Again, available uh, with the download boag.world forward slash marketing. Okay. So we've tested the clarity of camp, the campaign, but what about its persuasiveness? What about um, the emotional response that you want to get from people? Can you test that? Absolutely, you can. So once we know that the, 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 the campaign is, is clear um, and usable and, and um, people are seeing the right things, then you can get your designer to design your landing page, right? Or your email or whatever else. So you end up with a mock-up, right? But that's still a static mock-up. We haven't built the entire campaign yet. We haven't created the email properly. We haven't you know, built the landing page and all the costs associated with that. So we can take that static comp, that design that we've got, and sure, we could run it through the same, um, same uh, tests that we did earlier, the first click test, the um, five-second test. But there are some other tests that Usability Hub offers that we can, which are more um, applicable for um, judging emotional response to design, right? So the first one is you could do a preference test. You could get people to, um, the designer to mock up different visual representations of, of the campaign, how it might look, um, what imagery you use, what colors you use, what typography you use, etc. And you could show them, um, uh, two, you know, multiple different versions. You show the user it, and you say to them, you know, um, which of these do you find most compelling? Right, pick. Okay. Another test that you can do, which I'm quite a fan of, is something called a semantic differential survey. Right. Now, what that is is that you've got certain words, right? Certain words that you want um, uh, the user to. Um, uh, feel or think as they see the design, right? They, you want them to think that the the design is casual, simple, fun, and personal, right? That's the emotions that you want to elicit. Now, with a semantic differential survey, you can you can take their opposites, right? So, casual, formal, simple, complex, fun, serious, personal, impersonal, and you can create a survey which is a sliding scale from casual to formal, from simple to complex, etc., and allow people to vote on how compelling or otherwise they think the design is, right? 
do they find it um emotion uh you know emotionally um the you know along the lines that you want to communicate do they find it casual or do they find it more formal and that that helps you know whether you've got uh, the design the aesthetics right from your uh visuals but you can do a variation on that which i've called a semantic cloud test right and essentially um what often happens with designs is you sit around agonizing about it, don't you? So you've got this design and um, you show it around the office and you're to your boss and all the rest of it. And your boss turns around and says, oh, well, I think that feels quite cold and distant and not very engaging. Right. So what you do with the semantic cloud test is you take the words that you want to communicate, maybe fresh and modern or whatever. Um, you take their opposites and you take. Um, the random words that your boss has thrown into the mix or your colleagues or stakeholders. And you list all of those words and you run a very simple survey. You show the visual and then you say, which of the following words describes, describes the above image, right? And if they pick the words that you want to communicate, you know the design's going in the right direction. Um, and you've got evidence to prove to your boss that actually nobody else thought it was cold and distant, okay? So very simple tests, just a survey. Marketers do surveys all the time, um, and this will enable you to really judge uh, the effectiveness of your campaign, whether it's communicating the right feelings before it goes out. For more on testing design, I've written an article on that um, called Testing Design, How to Test a Design Comp. And again, you can uh, get that via the download at boag.world forward slash marketing. Finally. I want to talk about optimizing your campaign. So you've finished your campaign. It's all ready to go. Now, there's this very much this attitude, um, as, as I was saying right at the beginning, where it's like, okay, launch the campaign. We're done. Let's all move on to the next campaign. But actually, that's a huge mistake. I've been doing this job for 23 years, and I do not know how to create an effective campaign, right? Um, I'm not, I'm not going to magically be able to create a campaign first time that's perfect, right? Nobody is. It's not possible. The only way you, you create a highly performing campaign is by trial, right? You try something, you see what works, what doesn't, right? So really the idea that once your campaign is launched, it's done is a complete lie, right? Once you launch the campaign, that's when you start evolving it. That's when you start improving it over time. So the most common way of doing this is through A-B testing, right? So let's take, for example, an email campaign. You might do multiple, try multiple headlines, right? Same basic email, but it has different versions of the headline or subject line, right? And you send out, you know, um, the email to say, 5% of your audience gets one version, 5% gets another, and 5% gets another. And you see which of your three versions performs the best, and then that's the one that you send to everybody else, all right? With a landing page, equally, you might want to take a percentage of your um, incoming traffic and um, send them to various variations of the homepage, of the landing page to see which performs better. So really, you shouldn't be doing a marketing campaign without including some element of um, uh, A-B testing. Now, a lot of people think that A-B testing is only for larger sites. Um, 
that isn't necessarily the case. You need to work in a slightly different way if you've got a low traffic to website, but it's perfectly possible. Once again, I've written an article on that subject, Beginner's Guide to AB and Multivariant Testing that should help you out with that. So, I mean, there's so much more that we could say on this subject. Like I said, I do a, a, a full day workshop um, on this subject, but hopefully I've just given you um, a little bit of, of guidance that, that we need to stop guessing with our campaigns, not just stop pushing things out in the, into the world and just hoping that they're okay, but actually start measuring. I'll start measuring through the whole development cycle of the campaign, and then when a campaign goes live, that we need to continue measuring. And almost all the tests that I've discussed today only take a few minutes to do. They're not onerous. They don't um, need to slow down your cycle of pushing out projects once you get good at them. And in fact, in some ways, can save money, uh, time in endless debates and discussions about the best way to go. So I'd really encourage you to kind of give it a go and start experimenting with this kind of testing. If this is a subject that um, uh, you're struggling with, the idea of improving your conversion rate and making more effective campaigns, it's worth saying that in September, I'm running a workshop up in London um, on improving your conversion rate. And I would love it if um, you fancy coming along and attending that. Um, you can do so uh, by um, going to my website, boagworld.com, and there's a big button in the top right hand corner for my London workshop and you can apply there or of course you can download um, today's slides and there'll be a link in there. If you can't make it to London we cover very similar stuff in that masterclass I mentioned earlier at boagworld.com forward slash masterclass. So that's about it just to remind you of that URL again boag.world forward slash marketing. Um, I see that we from the people that are in the room, I don't have any questions yet, but that might be because you were so wrapped um, with everything that I was saying um, that you didn't have any, or it might have just been amazingly clear. If you want to pop in um, some questions now, feel free to do so. I'm more than happy to answer them. Um, but yeah, basically, I think that marketers can learn a lot from that testing and iterative cycle that user experience designers have been doing um, for years. Now, don't get me wrong. I think user experience designers have got a lot to learn from marketers as well, but that's another talk. We have a question, a question from Cam. Any recommendations for recruiting users for surveys? Absolutely. I can, I can, um, I can certainly help with that. So, um, one of the things I do a lot is use social media, right? Now, depending on what the survey's about or what, you know, if you're doing testing, um, it might just be usability type testing, in which case, if you're talking about basic things like clarity, do people spot stuff, then you, as I've said, you can use anybody. It doesn't need to be demographically correct. But when you're talking about feelings or messaging or you want to understand and research your users better, then obviously you need to use, you get the right people. Now, for that, I primarily use social media. I push out surveys on social media, but there are other methods as well. You can put a survey on your existing website, as I did with my masterclass. So those are real users coming to the website. The other thing you can do is um, send out emails uh, directly related to that. If you've got a mailing list already, you can send out an email um, relating to surveys. You probably, in all of these cases, want some kind of motivator to get people to do it, a gift voucher or a free download or something like that in order to encourage them. Um, but you can also buy in email lists as well. 
um, if you if you want people to um, uh, you know, if, if you want to reach people, you can buy in an email list of the kind of people you want to reach and run a survey that way. You can even do things like run Facebook ads or Google ads um, as a way of attracting people to your survey as well. Um, now, um, I think we've just had another one uh, question posted. Um, Jeannie, can I ask that you post that in, in the questions? The reason being is because um, if it's in the questions, then I can hit a button that says I'm answering it. So when people watch back it, uh, watch the video back afterwards, they can jump directly to that question if they want to. So that's question from Cam. Do we have any more questions? I suspect Jeannie's one will appear any minute, but are there any more in the meantime? Jeannie's rapidly copying and pasting at this point, I suspect. Do, do, do. Yes, here we go. So I'm going to answer Jeannie's question. We find um, site owners often pin, um, often pinched to choose between uh, what the developer says and what the SEO recommends. Do you see any light um, at the end of this long-term struggle? I, I, I would question either the SEO people or the dev people that you're currently talking to um, uh, because that sounds a bit worrying. Um, in my experience today, there was a time absolutely where um, web designers and SEO people would clash all the time. And that was back in the days where um, SEO was all about keyword placement, keyword stuffing and all of that kind of stuff. These days, really, um, good SEO is almost always about creating good content. Um, and uh, and so actually, um, the two are not mutually exclusive at all. In fact, I'm going to drop out of my presentation for a minute and go to my own website. Um, do, 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 close that presentation. Oh, no, I don't want to leave this because that's actually the nearly left the present. Uh, this right. OK, so. Um, Right. Let me search on. I'm trying to remember what it's got. So UX and SEO. I wrote an article a while back on this very subject. How SEO has improved my experience, uh, the experience of my blog. And I actually talk in there about the benefits that SEO provides. OK. Um, and it can be hugely beneficial. So if you want to read that, you go to boagworld.com forward slash marketing forward slash SEO dash UX. Um, and you'll find that the two really should be working hand in hand. So I'm slightly concerned that maybe your SEO people are a little bit out of date or alternatively, um, uh, your web designers have got a bit of a chip on their shoulder when it comes to UX. Sorry, comes to SEO, should I say? OK, we have another question from Rob. If my landing pages have small volumes of visit, how many visits conversions do you need to get a proper A-B test result? Small numbers often make conversion rates hard to determine. Absolutely. And this is what exactly what I cover in my um, article on split testing um, or A-B testing. Um, let me bring that one up a minute. If I can remember anything about it, because it's a very good question you've got. Um, let me bring refocus on the screen. So as I said, I've written a post called A Beginner's Guide to A-B Testing. Um, let's maximize this. Um, oh, that didn't work. Ah, we're now reading my emails, which is really useful. Ah, look at that. It's not having it. Okay. 
Technology, eh? Who'd have it? There we go. So beginner's guide to A-B testing. So um, one of the things I, I talk about is um, once you get past the, the problem of not having enough traffic, right? So the way that you get around this, I mean, there's multiple approaches, but the first is to test very close to the point of conversion, right? So if you've got lots, if you're Amazon, for example, you can you can do tests where, um, you know, uh, you're, you're testing a headline on one page and um, the point of conversion is at the end of a checkout process. And even though the two are very far apart, you get so much traffic that it's not a problem. But if you've got a low traffic website, what you'll find is you're testing one page and then people are dropping out before they ever reach the conversion point. So you're not getting numbers. But if you you link those two very closely together. So, for example, the closest you could do is that the point of conversion is someone clicks on a button. The thing that you're testing is the text on that button. Do you see what I mean? The two are very close. Then you'll find um, that you'll get a lot more conversions and that will enable you to get a much clearer um, picture. So that's one thing you do. The other thing you can do is focus on micro conversions. So instead of um, making your success criteria, your, your point of conversion, something that doesn't happen very often, like signing up to a newsletter, you could look at a smaller, more common action. For example, if you wanted to test blog post titles, you might test how many users click on the post rather than those that then go to sign up. So they're much closer together. The other thing you should do on uh, low traffic sites is limit the number of variations, right? Um, so on a high traffic site, you would do the complete opposite. You would have lots of different variations um, uh, because that creates a, um, a higher likelihood you'll find a version that significantly improves conversion. But on a low traffic website, you probably just want to do your baseline version and one alteration because you don't have enough traffic to drive it. And then the final thing you do, as you pretty much um, applied in the question, is you you lower the um, the significance, right? Um, so don't wait for you know the, these tools try and work out um, that you use for creating A/B testing give you a statistically significant result. You don't have to listen to those. You can make a decision based on fewer results. So yeah, that's. Um, that's how you go about doing uh, um, uh, A-B testing on a low traffic website. Hopefully that helped. Right. Oh, done answering Rob. And another one from Jeannie. SEO is very up to date. The devs feel threatened by that and are focusing in not on the visuals. Page speed is an issue uh, with many flashy design elements. Ah, okay. So that's a slightly different thing, right? That's devs that are worried about performance. Um, okay. I, I'm actually, even though I come from a design background and I primarily work with marketers, I've actually got a lot of time um, for devs on this big issue. Um, uh, uh, because uh, on the issue of performance, because performance can be one of the most damaging factors when it comes uh, to, to conversion. A slow loading site has big impact. Again, I've written a post on this. You're getting a reoccurring theme here, aren't you? Let's see if I can find my, uh, my post on performance because I've got some stats in here um, that are pretty compelling on the importance of um, uh, uh, performance. Uh, why performance is the best way to improve conversion, uh, improve the user experience? Let me see. I find the. Here we go. So, a one second delay in the load time of your website 
can equate to a 7% drop in sales and an 11% fewer page views, right? So performance is an enormous factor, um, right? And um, something like 74% of users will give up on a page if it takes five seconds or more to load. And in fact, one in four people would abandon a page that takes longer than four seconds to load, right? So performance is massively important. Um, and so I would actually agree with your, your developers on this particular one, that I think it's more important that the site loads fast than has flashy design elements. That said, there is certainly things the developer can, you've got to be careful here, because sometimes the developer um, will use performance as an excuse for the fact that they don't want to do the extra work that's involved, right? Let's say, for example, um, uh, the, your SEO people and your, your conversion people want to include a video on the site, say a video background or something like that. Now, it'd be perfectly legitimate for a, for a developer to turn around and say, oh, well, you know, it's, that'll have a huge performance impact and so therefore we shouldn't be doing it. Yes, they're true. It would do if that is badly implemented on your website, right? However, there's no reason why um, the page can't load a static image in initially and then uh, load the video asynchronously. In other words, the rest of the page finishes loading, the user can start interacting, and then it loads in the video in the background afterwards. And there are loads of examples like this. So web typography, for example, I use um, uh, you know some non-standard typography on my own website, um, but I don't wait for that those fonts to load before I display the content. Now that creates a bit of an unattractive flash as the, the fonts load, um, but at least people can start reading the content there without having to wait. So I guess what I'm saying is, although I'm on the developer's side, performance absolutely is the number one factor to consider here. You, it may be that given enough time and resources that developers can do work that will mitigate the performance hit of whatever it is your SEO people are proposing. Hopefully that helped a little bit. All right, well, I'm not seeing any more questions. Um, so I think it's about time to wrap up um, today's presentation. Hopefully you found it useful. I'm basically running a series of these workshops um, uh, while I'm taking a break from the podcast. Um, I am taking them and uh, repurposing them and releasing them as audio podcasts as well. Um, but we've got uh, a couple more of these uh, workshops coming, uh, webinars coming up that you're more than welcome to sign up for. Hope you found it useful and feel free to download um, those slides uh, whenever you want. Okay, so that's it for this week's webinar. Next week, we'll be looking at a developer's guide to user experience design. If you fancy joining me live for that recording, it will be happening at 3 p.m. UK time on June the 19th. To register, go to crowdcast.io forward slash Boag World. But for now, thanks for listening.